Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today I'm joined by Marcus Almighty. Mark. Greetings. Ken. We don't need to do board names. This Hello. Isn't, this isn't the other show. And a uh, guest today who will hopefully become a regular on this show hey. uh, from Old Blighty itself, David Donnelly. And I uh, want to thank everyone who chimed in on Facebook about suggestions for albums that they would like us to discuss. We had some very good ones, I think all of which we will eventually get to because they were good. But today we're going to go with Jason Leonard's suggestion of Queen's Jazz album, which um, is not, to be perfectly honest, is not the first album I would pick to do a deep dive or discussion about Queen with for where it falls in my personal Queen catalog. Um, Mark, let's start with you for your when your interaction with Queen commenced. Well, um, actually, I was pretty young when my first interaction with Queen started. And again, thanks to my older sister, Jane, um, she was in the house with a 45 single of another mm. one bites the dust so right away that became very familiar to me uh and it became even more familiar to me because i became a huge wwf wrestling fan back in the day and the junkyard <laughs> dog used to always come out to the wrestling ring with that music oh. playing another one bites the dust so i was always like hey i know that song and i like this wrestler so i kind of put two and two together and i was about what eight years old then when that was out and about <clears throat> so i was pretty young uh, but that was my first real introduction to Queen was uh, a 45 single that my sister Jane had from, uh, you know, back in the day with Another One Bites the Dust. So, David, obviously you would have been in Britain at the time yeah. Queen was in their heyday. When did you yeah. first get introduced to them? And I'd also like to know from both you and Mark, what Mark will we'll circle back to you as musicians and working musicians, whether they were influences on you artistically. Mm. Well, I, I mean, I, I, um, I bought Keep Yourself Alive for 25 pence when I was uh, when I was aged eight, which is about, I don't know, 30 cents in American money. I'm not sure about Canada. But um, yeah, and I, but, I mean, we had the program Top of the Pops in um, Britain. Really? And uh, so I, I was aware of them from Killer Queen onwards, but I just didn't have any money, you know. And uh, but I, I, you know, I did the usual things you do, like tidying the bathroom and stuff. And I did used to go down to a secondhand uh, record shop with my parents. And I remember getting Keep Yourself Alive for 25 pence. Uh, which was a kind of fortune, you know, it was like three magazines worth or something, you know. Um, but uh, I got that. And then funnily enough, you know, the first album I got was jazz. And um, it was actually bought for me by a guy, um, like a friend of my mum and dad's who was a drummer and sort of told I was a drummer. And he said, oh, listen to this. Obviously a bit of the Roger Taylor um, stuff for him, you know, but uh, that, that was the first one I, that's the first one I got. And I got it in 1978. And had the posters swiftly removed by my parents. Nice. So you were busted. So, yeah, well, yeah. 25p, that would have been like four candy bars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's quite Candy it's bars quite are like eight pence or something at most yeah. back, back in the 70s that I remember anyway. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Ken, how about you? When did you get on board with Queen and what was it that drew you in? Um, well, <clears throat> what drew me in was hearing... Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody 
and also you're my best friend um probably you know late night or early morning i used to go to sleep to the radio i'd have the radio on and just turn it you used to be able to turn this little dial and it would be on a timer and it would go off by itself uh the radio but i remember hearing that and uh i eventually bought uh night at the opera i, I think i didn't get that right buy it right away i knew it i liked the songs but i think i got it in uh around 77 um night at the opera so that was my first real you know introduction to queen Wow, so you're old school. You, uh, you of course, fulfill that role on several of our shows as someone who actually got into the band way closer to their heyday than me. All right, my introduction to Queen Summer Camp, 1980, I think it was, used to go up to uh, the Adirondacks every year to this place called Camp Poca Moonshine, and all the kids would come up from uh, the city, New York City, of course. Um, you know, they'd skip the Catskills, they'd go up to the Adirondacks in the summer. And the big boom boxes that they bring with them all that summer, mm. all that you would hear was another one bites the dust. And I think oh, I yeah. went, I went three years in a row, and uh, went through a bunch of the different, you know, kind of singles that were big at the time. So that was my first interaction with Queen when I was living in England before we moved to the states in '78. I have no recollection whatsoever of them ever crossing my path. So that was that was the moment. That was I always remembered it. And then we go into the MTV era and Radio Gaga and the stuff from Works and the videos that were in rotation kind of left a mark on it. Um, first Queen albums and go-to Queen albums before we dig in to jazz specifically. David, let's start with you. Um, if you haven't already mentioned your first Queen album, which you, I think you already have, was jazz. Yeah. But what is your favorite and go-to or go-to Queen listen? It, it, that's a real tricky one because one of the things I, I like about Queen is the same reason why I like Kiss, as I, at least well, all three of you know, um, is because I actually like it when bands do something different and what have you. So, I mean, the album Sheer Heart Attack, it's just absolutely brilliant from start to finish uh, for me. But I love News of the World was amazing, you know. But I think there's just there's just a special place for jazz. I don't know what it is. I, I think it's probably the time, you know. It's like it's that that's the thing, isn't it? It's the time and what it means to you and stuff. It probably isn't the best out of those three that I just mentioned, but it's the one that I just I kind of hold dearest to my heart, you know. Um, so yeah, but 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 the two. First one was jazz. Second one was um, uh, news of the world, and then um, I managed to sort of swap about ten records for for, for a copy of Live Killers, uh, and uh, and now I must say my copy of Live Killers that I've got now is the Japanese one. That's one red vinyl, one green vinyl, and it's a it's a beauty. It's a cracking album as well, which is probably one of the best things. Um, so those three, those three are my holy trinity then. Nice. Right. You can't go wrong with that. Ken, of course, you already mentioned your first Queen album. What is your go-to album, if not the same? Yeah, you know what? I think that is my go-to album, um, Night <laughs> of the Opera. Uh, though I like, I th jazz is like a for me is like a second one for me, um, a close second, and then I like, and then. You know, news of the world, and then you you keep going down the list. But uh, yeah, a night opera is the first one. I think it's just fantastic album, um, with all its you know left turns it takes on it. So 
Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll agree with anyone who says good stuff about News of the World. Mark? Well, uh, my first actual Queen record was News of the World. Um, and that, that was on vinyl. And even when I started recollecting vinyl again, that was the first one I got again. Um, as far as my favorite one, there's always been this kind of rotation that I've had of Queen records that I go to. Because I like all of their records to some degree. But I've always been a huge fan of <clears throat> excuse me, I've always been a huge fan of Queen 2. I always thought that that record was awesome. I've loved that record. And I was also a, a really big fan of Sheer Heart Attack as well. That's a, that's a fantastic album. But I mean, really at the end of the day, I have to say that my favorite record has to be A Night at the Opera. I mean, as much as I get sick of it after a while listening to it, I can't listen to it for too many days in a row because then I'm just, I just get tired of it. But if I had to say what my favorite one overall is, I, I have to say it's that one. I mean, there really, there's, there's nothing really wrong on it on any level, writing-wise, production-wise. You know, I think it's one of their, <clears throat> one of their masterpieces for sure. Okay, so I guess I'm the one who's going to get in trouble with the diehard Queen fans. Uh, yeah. My my first Queen album that I purchased was A Kind of Magic. Okay. Yeah, which I still love to this day because I really loved Highlander, the movie. And of course, those mm -hmm. songs are a central part of the soundtrack for that movie. And of course, in recent years, there um the alternate versions that were used in the movie itself have come out on the Highlander Deluxe Edition um, DVD package. So that was what got me into them because that had a, to the point where I started going back and buying all the other Queen albums. Because mm -hmm. once I dove into that, you had all these different textures of Queen. You had Brian, Guitar Hero, May on, you know, Give Me the Prize and Princes of the Universe, and, you know, really heavy Freddie vocal. But you also have the really light, fluffy stuff, which you then discover is a central part of their catalog and is stylistically. My go-to album to this day and every day, because I guess I really got into them as a closet Queen fan, as a metalhead in the late 80s, um, is Innuendo. Because that mm -hmm. really is kind of the last stand for the band. There's so much great music. There's a lot of poignancy underneath it. And again, stylistically, it runs the same sort of gamut that News of the World does, if not quite the same um, standard. So it's the aged boxer getting into the ring one more time and winning uh, the heavyweight championship. But he wasn't as good as he was in 1977 as he was in 1991. <laughs> whenever that album came out now so innu innuendo um so let's talk about jazz you know what were your first impressions when listening to this this album either originally or in preparation to talk about it today ken let's start with you on it yeah i mean uh, i got it right away pretty much uh when it came out and which was i think the end of uh in november of 78 uh, um and my first impressions were well i already had heard you know bicycle race and fat bottom girls you know on the radio and a lot of times they played that back to back on am radio i remember hearing it back to back um and uh so i thought oh this is this i like these songs uh, they're really good so um i i listened to it i mean the first the first listen at the very beginning with uh uh, Mustafa, um, that was kind of a shock. It's like, 
you know, uh, Freddie's doing some acapella stuff and he's singing in Arabic. And uh, I was like, what? <laughs> Did I get the right album? You know, so but but after that, you know, it, it actually kicks in and, and it's it's, you know, it's, it's decent. Um, other than that, uh, I thought it was pretty good. I sat and I listened to the whole thing through and uh, I was quite, you know, pleasantly surprised by, you know, the one of the later songs in it. Uh, um, well, you know, was it? Oh, Don't Stop Me Now. Um, that one, you know, starts off kind of slow. I thought, oh, it's going to be another ballad, I guess, or something. And then that kicks in. It's like, whoa, this song is great. You know, this this song probably should be a single. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed the album, and I played it over and over. It got better with, you know, each listen. Yeah, so I didn't get jazz until the box set came out a few years ago that had the second batch of remasters that came out with the bonus discs and all that. And exactly like you... I had a problem with Mustafa because to me that was just like a demented soundtrack song from Aladdin bizarre scene chasing the monkey and the monkey is of course named Mustafa it's just insane it's like Benny Hill uh, meets Queen so that put me off and half that first side I think I got halfway through that and I just stopped listening to the album because for me, you've got hmm. some of the songs, and we'll, we'll talk about them, that just don't work for me. So my first impressions of it were not favorable because, again, the singles that have been on Queen's Greatest Hits that I've listened to for donkey's years are a lot of the songs that fill up the, fr the first side. So my first impressions then and now, when listening to it to prepare for this, were... Um, Oh my God, I got to go through this again. But having listened to the album about 14 times, Mustafa's kind of growing on me. So there you it go. It gets stuck in your head. It's catchy as hell. It kind of uh, after a while. It, 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 and my big problem with it is I lack context. What is the context of this creation? I've Googled, I've surfed, I've looked for stuff to read about it. I've not been able to find out what on earth it's doing there why does it exist and why is it the opening track on this album maybe david will be able to answer that question as we go through this or someone will mm -hmm. have some clue or maybe it'll just remain one of those mysteries mark <clears throat> well uh it's funny because a lot of the things that you guys are saying i'm going to completely echo because the very first time i got jazz i bought it at a secondhand store this was years ago and i put it on and as soon as he started with that Ibrahim, all that stuff at the beginning i was like what the hell is this i honestly went and looked over at the turntable did i get somebody else put a different record in this i got thought somebody frankenstein did on me i really did and i went there and looked and no this is jazz and honestly and i'm very glad that i didn't do this but i was about three seconds away from just taking the needle off and bringing the record back i almost couldn't get through that Mustafa bit at the beginning. It just really drove me nuts. I'm like, what is this? this? Is some kind of this doesn't sound like Queen to me at all. And then the moment happened. I'm gonna take you home. Like as soon as they started with Fat Bottom Girls, like wait a minute, now we're on to something. And as soon as he started with that riff, that guitar riff, I don't know what it is, but that whole production of that song connected with me immediately because, you know. I'm going to talk a lot about this record and for various different things like the production of it. I think it's Roy Thomas Baker ish 
but not his best work, but it definitely has his things in there. Because the last records that they did before that, like News of the World and Day at the Races, he wasn't on those. He didn't touch those albums. And you can tell that there's a very big difference in their production on those records and this one. But, you know, there are, there are things that I'll agree with Julian on this as well. This record for me is very hit and miss. A lot of the songs on here I love, and there's a lot of songs on here that I just despise and don't like at all. I think the record is way too long. There's way too many songs on this album. I think a lot of them could have been cut in my opinion. But, you know, hey, that that's just my opinion. I'm a humble Canadian here. But, you know, I, I just honestly think that the songs that are really good on this album are, are stellar. Bicycle Race, you know, Fat Bottom Girls. I mean, If You Can't Beat Them, I really love that, that song. You know, uh, th- there's so many songs in here that I like. But then I also despise Let Me Entertain You, you know, but we'll get to that later. Okay, a resident Canadian... You haven't apologized yet. You know, we're 20 minutes into a show. You haven't said I'm sorry yet. <laughs> David, uh, first impressions. And, uh, you know, let's dig into the sound and the production on it as well. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's uh, it's weird because, like, I, I echo all three of you in, in some way um, because it's one of those things that because I heard it when I was 11, it was just brilliant from start to finish. Me and Ken um, have a favourite album of Sweets, Desolation Boulevard. It's the same thing. I could just hear it from start to finish. But now, when I listen to it, I'm aware as a musician and a producer myself and stuff, there's a couple of clunkers on there, you know. Um, but uh, And jazz is the same, you know. It, jazz is the same. And uh, I wouldn't say Mustafa's a clunker, but it, it's got that weird sort of, I don't know what it is, Persian or Arabic or whatever it is, you know, that sort of stuff. It's a weird opener for an album. Really strange. I wouldn't have gone with that as a as a if I was track doing the track listing, you know. Um, and I'm not on a production front, which I'm sure me and Mark are going to bore people with. Um, I, I'm not really keen on the dry vocal. It's like a really dry vocal. There's just nothing on there at all. It's like as as dead as dead can be in a carpeted room almost, you know. Um, but once it kicks in then it, it's kind of like, oh, hello, you know, here we are. And they do that trick that some bands used to do, particularly around, I thought, around the late 70s, where they they have a section at the beginning that's quieter than anything else. And if you, you know, I mean, I when I was playing it today, it's like the whole of that first one of Mustafa is at a different dB than when it all kicks in and it also, the stereo goes from there to there, you know. Oops, sorry. And... Um, <laughs> And so I quite like the sort of little things like that. But yeah, it, it, it's a bit... From then on, it, it's, you know, side one is an absolute killer for me, personally. Side one, yeah, take without Mustafa. And, you know, it's weird. Mustafa was only a single in Bolivia, Spain, Yugoslavia and Germany. And I think that says something. <laughs> yeah, it does say a lot. I, I think the production of it is one of the interesting factors on it that I find it very bright. I don't have a problem with like Mustafa being quiet in the beginning and then kicking in bombastic. Mm-hmm. That's a great device of all of yeah. a sudden you're, you're kind of going from one sort of show, like a musical I alluded to with Aladdin, um, mm. uh, in my comparison, into the big rock show. So you're going yeah. from stage decibel to stage decibel, and there's a big increase in the two. But when I go back, I immediately found myself needing to go back to News of the World which pound for pound all the way through has what is 
to a certain extent, the definitive Queen sound for me uh, in the 70s, production-wise. There's something very comforting about the production of News of the World that is a little bit more crass and clashing on this one. Um, I'll go to the other producer in the house next. Mark. Mm. Well, I mean, the funny thing is that I, I agree. I think News of the World has a very much more raw you know, sort of production to it. I mean, they were also at that time trying to compete with the, you know, the Sex Pistols and those kind of bands at that time too, right? Because they were out there with these really raw records that people were getting into and they didn't want to come out with another polished, over-the-top, spit-shined, you know, you know, harmonized vocals and this and that. So they wanted something a bit more raw to compete with it. And I understand that totally. Now, they bring back in Roy Thomas Big. <laughs> some of that stuff is my my thing lagging again yes <laughs> a little bit oh great okay well hopefully it'll catch up but anyways i, I, I think, I think you're the... right about the you're right about the punk thing because there is that sort of infamous story about when they were recording news of the world in wessex studios the pistols were doing never mind the bollocks in in, in wessex as well and uh, sid decided to go and crawl across the floor on his on his on all fours and climb up the uh, leg of freddie's piano and i believe <laughs> freddie referred to him as simon ferocious yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. so i think that's when when you listen to something off news of the world like sheer heart attack you can tell that roger taylor was trying to kind of keep up a bit you know he obviously was into that whole chug 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 sort of guitar stuff and what have you but yeah you're absolutely right they were in the shadow of you know, and all the post-punk stuff like Blondie and all that sort of stuff had come along and kind of swept the board. So they were, they were probably trying hard. Yeah, well, I, I but I, I love a lot of it though. I mean, I think like Bicycle Race, for example, is a great example of them going with their sound, but also trying to experiment. A lot of that is very proggy and really connected with me when I heard that song. You know, mm. you know with all the kind of different start stops and this and that and then they stop into that whole bell, bell ringing thing in there and stuff like that. It's very, very experimental if you think about it, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But I mean, you know, Jealousy is an interesting ballad, you know, stuff like that as well. I, I mean, it's, to me, the, like I said, the songs that really stand out, stand out. The ones that are weaker, you know, I think that Roy Thomas should have stepped in on some of them, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I think you're absolutely right on things like, I was literally thinking this when I was making a few notes, that, you know, what to say. And Bicycle Race, I've actually written, the amount of different sections would blow young people's minds these days. And what I mean by that is, you know, because I'm obviously, in, you know, I'm in contact with young musicians and all that sort of stuff. But the way they just want a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and something really in the middle. I mean, if you think about the amount of sections in Bicycle Race, imagine handing that in as a single today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, and, and the, you know, the, the bells remind me of Pink Floyd's, is it time where all the clocks go off? And yeah. All that sort of stuff? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, and it's, but as a single, it's just, how brilliant was that back then to hear that on the radio as just part of everyday play, as in, you know, playlist, sort mm -hmm. of, you know. Absolute torture. Ken, yeah, what, what's your kind of thought about uh, the sound and production of the album? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a sign of the times. I mean, uh, uh, you had your the prior album, News of the World, which is pretty raw, you know, more raw rock, uh, and it was a sign of its time um, for the same type of uh, 
or groups of albums at at that time. Um, I think the production's pretty good. It's not Roy Thomas Baker's uh, best production, um, but if you compare it to something like uh, The Cars' first album, which he already did on the, around the same year, I think, um, it's similar in production in a way mm-hmm. to, to that. Um, I think the vocals, I want to say the vocals kind of dry on that too. Um, so, yeah, I can see you know what they're doing. It's just the keeping with whatever else is out there—the the sound and production of other music at the time. That that always happens uh, as you go through the years. They're producing. They go, oh, they okay. This sounds like this now. We got a production. Make it sound like this other guy's album, or whatever is the trend at the time. But uh, it, yeah, it's it's perfectly fine. All right, so let's get into some of the singles um, that were released from this album. Obviously, Bicycle Race Fat Bottom Girls was released as a double A side and was the hit from the album. And again, are considered the hits from the album. Uh, Don't Stop Me Now only hit 86 on the U.S. charts. I didn't look at any of the U.K. ones because obviously there's a vast difference between the popularity of Queen worldwide versus the popularity of Queen in the United States. It's a little yeah. bit like soccer, football. Um, mm-hmm. Everywhere else kind of gets it. And America got it for a few songs, uh, a few hits. And mm-hmm. then, of course, the third single was from... Um, was I, I'm not sure if it was released in the UK as well, but Jealousy was the third single from the album. And that is actually one of my favorite songs from the album. I think that's the best song in terms of, um, again, just its flow, its structure... It's a ballad, but it's also, you know, a very queenish song. And Don't Stop Me Now is fantastic. I am going to put this out here. It'll be one of my picks later for the uh, dislikes. I despise Bicycle Race and Fat Mocking Girls. I hate what? those songs. Oh I like one part wow. of them. I actually like, Why? The, I like the bells thing in the in. I just completely can't stand those songs. They are so twee. They are so um, artsy-fartsy. They're so trivial. They're just... They're like Paul McCartney elevator music. I do not like either of those. So I'm not a big fan of that first single, shall we say. I will edit edit down a a three-and-a-half-minute loop of just the bicycle bells going off. Thank you. That I that I love. I mean, that, I don't know why I can't explain myself. You know, I I just really like that section. Maybe it is as I think one of you alluded to the uh, Pink Floyd song "Time." You know, I'm yeah. like, oh, finally something I can relate to here because the rest of it is just utter tosh. Um, David, go back to you for the singles and your thoughts <laughs> right. on them. Okay, I'll try and recover from that. Uh, Fat Bottom Girls, love it. Sorry, just love it and. Uh, and obviously, again, as a kid, you know, the lyrics were a bit saucy um, when you're 11. Um, and as a young drummer as well, when I was, you know, I hadn't started playing guitar then. So the Brian May thing was cool, but I hadn't started that. But I was drumming at that point. And just Roger Taylor does the second best Queen sort of drum fill ever on uh, just before. I think it's chorus two. It's after mm. verse two, I think. Where there's a proper... <laughs> Phenomenal. And the, obviously bettered only by the break fill that, that, that is in uh, three quarters away through Sheer Heart Attack, the song, 
where it's just it's an even longer fill around the toms, you know. But mm. but uh, fat bottom girls are loved. Um, Jealousy. It wasn't a single here. It wasn't a single in the UK. Uh, and it's nice, and it's great harmonies, and what have you. And I think um, I think I quite like just knowing some of the production techniques where, like, it sounds like a sitar. I think we can all agree it sounds like a little sitar at the beginning. But it's actually just Brian May's acoustic guitar. And what he did was he just basically taped a piece of wire, fret wire, just in front of the bridge on his guitar so that all the strings would buzz and vibrate. And that's what that you know they set set that up with a mic. So it's not it's not you know it's not a, a sitar. It's not a special guitar. It's just the acoustic with a piece of wire across to make sure that every note goes zing. You know, so I quite like that. And bicycle race. I think we've covered that. I absolutely love it, and uh, I like it for the reasons I stated earlier. So next one. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, jealousy though. That's a sleeper on the album, and I didn't really go into details about what I liked about these. I liked the piano bass on there. And, but some of the vocal phrasings are awkward. There's one part where Freddie sings, and he, yeah, it's like he's having a mouth seizure while <laughs> phrasing the word, and it's really awkward and it stands out. Um, but when I was when I was listening to this, I kept saying, "I've heard this before. I've heard this before. Where have I heard this before?" It took me all week basically to find out that I now know where Def Leppard got their inspiration for a song called "Love." Off, uh, I can't remember if that's off Sparkle or the uh, self-titled album, but I, it's nearly, it's so similar. Go listen to it if you've not heard it on YouTube, because now you know where the inspiration with so many bands, they get their kind of stuff coming through over the decades. Ken? Yeah, well, like I said, uh, Bicycle Race, Fat Bottom Girls, those, I love those. Uh, that was the reason pretty much for me going out and buying the album. Um, as for uh, Jealousy, I thought it was okay. It's kind of a, a typical ballad uh, for that time period um, on the radio, maybe AM radio. Um, I like the other, one of the other ballads better um, in only seven days. I would have rather had that as a single. I, I like that song a lot. Um, there's a great melody in that, um, and it's a little bit different than your standard, you know, you know slow song at the time. Um, and of course, yeah, don't stop me now. Even though it didn't do anything, I love that song. I just that could be well, it could be my favorite song on the album, possibly. Yeah. Interesting. I'm just going to quickly uh, recap some of my notes as I didn't really talk in details about why I don't like Fat Bottom Girls. My notes are simple. I hate the song. I don't care for a whole lot of Rosie either. Um, but it's got some very Who-ish Pete Townsend chordings. Great bass, mm. good harmonies on the chorus, and once it shifts into third gear, we're good. And as David pointed out, that Tom Phil three-quarters way through, holy crap, you know, those are on my notes. Uh, Bicycle Race, skip pretentious grandiose fluff is what i could put on my notes for that um uh, it's all i said after that um you know after the bell section it's great so there you go i love, I love grandiose fluff i love that that's brilliant so and this is coming from a man that wrote a book on the elder <laughs> hey go figure mark oh uh, well, I, I had no problem with this 
singles as like i said i mean flat bottom girls to me i've always loved that i mean like i said that to me saved me from bringing the record back because i mean that whole thing with the just the single kick drum and that riff even today I, I was listening to it in here and i had it cranked in here and it was just i smile every time i hear that whole beginning part it's just awesome and even when the bass kicks in with it it's like whoa it's like because it's that's the one of the only songs i think where they have a drop d tuning for yes. a queen song so yeah you know and it really shows on that song right so but i i've always loved that and you know and again the the prog pretentious loving uh music that i love you know because a lot of prog music is pretentious you know genesis stuff and you know king crimson is and stuff like that right so i mean bicycle race to me is right in my wheelhouse so as soon as i heard that i i i loved it immediately i mean jealousy is is interesting like as i agree with ken it's pretty standard kind of ballad but that but that guitar thing is re- really interesting i mean mm-hmm. that whole bit with that you know putting the the fret wire on there it really gave it an interesting distinct sound that i could have been easily fooled would have been an attempt at a sitar right mm-hmm. so uh, and it's, it's really well done you know um but I, I agree i think that i would have probably liked one of the other ballads as a single instead yeah so let's talk about alternative single picks ken you've already kind of mentioned it only seven days would make a good Mm -hmm. one but what other ones do you think would have been maybe a better choice for one of the singles that you don't like um if if, uh jealousy doesn't work for you what would you replace it with well like i said in only seven days would would have been my um other single otherwise um i don't think it would could be a single but uh you know i i I do like Dead on Time. I mean, I think that's great, but it's no way it would be. It would be an FM track uh, at the time, not not AM radio. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, I mean, their single choices are pretty much, you know, right on. Uh, other than, like I said, Jealousy. Um, otherwise, they're good. Yeah, David. Right, well, here we go. I've been waiting for this part of the show. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> If you can't beat them, join them, hands down. Can't believe it wasn't a... I can't believe it's, you know, it wasn't a live favourite right to the end. Uh, that was my favourite track off the album immediately. And I've discussed I've discussed this with people like Dan Hawkins from The Darkness and what have you, who, it, like, I think he's kind of agrees with me that um, if you can't beat them, join them. It's just... It's a John Deacon song. He's not shy of a few hits. I want it all. Um, yeah. Another one bites the dust. You're my best friend. Um... And it's it's absolutely my one of my favourite Queen songs, which is weird because it's kind of like it, it's uh, I do I mean it's like you know get ready for the Kiss haters coming in, but I mean it's my life is one of my favourite Kiss songs of all time, despite the fact that it being a sort of bit of a round the back of the bike sheds type sort of song. It's not really in their canon particularly, you know. Whereas if you can't beat them, join them. The amount of people who've never heard that track. But I just think it's 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 kind of poppy. It's kind of I love the left right stereo guitar solo where it starts in the right hand side and then goes right over to the left and the right and the left. And it's just it's really up. And it's um, yeah, that would be my single choice by by a country mile. Um, and, you know, obviously, Julian, we don't agree, but I think Fat Bottom Girls and Bicycle Race were good um, because they were kind of like twinned as well. It was almost like a double... Was it a double A side? Double A, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, fair play. But honestly, if you can't beat them, join them. I'm amazed that 
it just hasn't had more made of it, you know. Uh, so there you go. I've got I've got no other runners up. The rest are album tracks for me, you know. Yeah, I mean it's nice that and again calling out John Deacon, who often oh. gets overlooked, and when you consider his contributions, there's a lot of great bass work on this album. Actually, there are just yeah. some times he's doing some real nice string slides, and just the power of the bass is you know perfectly represented. I'm going to yeah. replace. Fat Bottom Girls and Bicycle Race with what should be just a given for a Queen single. And it should have been the lead-off track. Let me entertain you. Definitely agree with the lead-off track. Great song. Yeah, yeah. Shush, Mark. Keep it quiet, dude. <laughs> 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 He's I, having some sort of seizure. I just think Freddie Mercury is encapsulated within that song. There's bombast there's posturing there's pouting uh and there's power so there's a lot yeah. of peas popping in the microphone there mark wow sorry i had something in my throat there after that um <laughs> but yeah uh i think i agree with with uh, david 150 percent. if you can't beat him should have been a single i love 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 that song as well I mean, I've always loved that sort of jet flanger effect that they have halfway through the song there as well. I think that's always a very cool 70s effect that's never gotten old for me when I hear that. Uh, but, but it's a great song. I, I really think that it's one of his better songs John Deacon wrote. It's, it's powerful. It's catchy. It's not overly too long. I mean, it's four minutes. I mean, sure, maybe in AM that's maybe long. But, you know, it's, I, I, everything about that song I totally love. You know, and I agree. A lot of the other songs on here, I, I can't really imagine being singles. I mean, Don't Stop Me Now is, a, is an obvious great song. And I think they did release that, but in certain markets, right? But th that that's another standout song, right? I mean, that, that should have been released everywhere, I think. I think it's that good a song. But yeah, if you can't beat them, that for sure. I agree with David. I, I thought your reaction to when I said "Let me entertain you" was because yeah. you thought it was a brilliant pick, and I just stolen your idea. I, no, no, no. Like, Julian, Julian, I'm with you though, and it's they're so confident. I love the lyrics to this. They're so confident, but without arrogance, which is really hard to pull off. It's a, <laughs> it's a really hard thing to pull off. I mean, but they were so big at the time. It's a brilliant live track. But I, I love the lyrics, like "With Electro and EMI, we'll show you where it's at." You know, it's just brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the guitar solo is rich, rich, mixed really high. And I will just to, because you know I I love Mark, bless him. So I will give you that the <laughs> ending is a bit cheesy with the backstage banter stuff like, "Oh, where's oh, my yeah. backstage right. pass? Oh, outrageous costume!" Cruella yeah, that, Deville him. That's a bit. Yeah, that's a bit. Nah, um, but uh, <laughs> but other than that, I'm absolutely with you. In it, I mean, it, it, it's an amazing kickoff track. It should have really opened the album. Really, Mustafa was a you know. I'd have swapped those maybe around. Yeah, I'm going to have to sing some praises wow. for if uh, you can't beat them, because I did write some notes on this again. Whoish chords, big guitar-driven <laughs> arena rock, big and brash. It's a winner, yeah. but my criticism here is one of my criticisms of Queen sometimes, that you can overdo the harmonies. And I felt that the harmonies in the chorus are completely out of place and clash with the character of the song to the point where they're jarring. Um, 
And again, going back to my own musical references, I say I could hear Kevin DeBro and Randy Rhodes doing justice to this with 70s Quiet Riot because of the sound of it. Uh, so that's that's kind of the parallel I take to it. All right, let's get into some favorites. And uh, I asked each of you to pick three of your favorite songs from this album. And I'll just preface this whole section with that's actually a really tough task for this album. Because even with some of the ups and downs that we've already all mentioned, and some of the things, my criticisms of it, it's much tougher to come up with that list. Ken, why don't we start with you? Well, mine's going to be boring because my favorite songs have always been the pretty much the singles. Uh, anyway, even though I I love the whole album, I really do love the whole album. Um, yeah, there's a couple couple in there that are just eh, okay, they're okay, but. And I don't skip it. So, I mean, Fat Bottom Girls, it's a winner, you know, Bicycle Race, and uh, Don't Stop Me Now. And like I said, don't, don't Stop Me Now, when I first heard that song, I hadn't heard it on the radio or anything. It was the first time playing through the album when I bought it. And when I got to it, and it started a little slow, but then it kicked in, and I'm like, holy crap, this is a great, you know, this is awesome song, you know. So I always thought that should have been a, a big hit for them. I mean, otherwise, you know, for the non-hits, I mean, I would have, like I said, I, I really like, like you said, a couple of us, uh, Let Me Entertain You is a great song. Um, but, you know, Dead on Time is so weird. You know, you're expecting something else the way it starts. It starts like it's a song ending, kind of, and then it kicks in. It's just a full steam ahead rocker. I mean, it just, it just rocks. And, you know, it's great. And that's the one thing about Queen is... The one thing I like about Queen is you got to expect the unexpected with them. It's never that's why they didn't do another uh, We Are the Champions, you know, try to do that again. They said, okay, we did that, we left it behind, and now we're going to do something else. Um, so that's what I like about Queen is you know they're so ex unexpected in their their writing. Nice, you know, you can never fault anyone for their tastes or their opinions, which is, you know, why I get away with an awful lot. Um, Mark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, kind of like with Ken, I mean, my favorite songs from this album are the ones that were singles, except for one, obviously. Um, but my number one favorite song after this is always being Fat Bottom Girls. I've always loved that song the best. That's my reason for pulling out this album is that song. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I take it out. I grab the needle and I instantly go whoop past Mustafa and put it right on that and start there. All right. I, cause I, I really don't, it still hasn't grown on me. Uh, but my second favorite song is still, if you can't beat them, I love that song. It, it's, it's one of those moments where, you know, I always kind of smile because John Deacon, like you guys said, never gets the sort of praise that he deserves as a writer in this band. I mean, he wrote so many great songs for this band. You know, uh, I mean, within the band, I think they do appreciate him very much because I mean, when you hear interviews about them, they always talk highly of John, right? So I think that he gets the the dessert, the the kind of you know, the kind of respect that he deserves within the band is just outside, I think. But then my third one is still gonna be. You know, Bicycle Race. I love that song. Everything about it, I, I love. Uh, but, you know, but the funny thing is that you guys say that, you know, it's it's kind of pretentious and this and that and stuff like that. And maybe it is to a degree. But, I mean, I, I, I say to you 
that uh, you know, let me entertain you is just as pretentious. And a lot of, I mean, every time I hear that song, I keep seeing like, dun, 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 like hats twirling and legs kicking. It's just like, it reminds me of some really bad Broadway song. I just, I can't stand it, that song. It just makes me want to just pick up the record and throw it, you know? It's just terrible song. How did, how did Roy Thomas Baker actually have a straight face and say, guys, that's a great song? I, I don't know. Because it is. <laughs> Mark, I, I, you're holding back. I mean, I just would like some honesty from you once in a while. <laughs> um, yeah, David, you know what? What are your three top picks from the album? And I know it's torture. I know. Sorry, I'm only laughing there because because I watch all your podcasts and Ken and Marks and stuff. I totally forgot I was on the panel for a second there, and I was just watching. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just heard my name. I just heard my name, David. And it's like, ah, oh. yeah. Um, well, I've pretty much said everything about what you'd expect. It's if you can't beat them, join them. Let me entertain you. Cracking track. And Fat Bottom Girls. And the thing is, I, I'm a big headphone listener. So as a kid, you know, I, I would, um, my mum and dad would be sort of watching telly at the other end of the lounge. And I would be by my dad's record player at the other end of the lounge with the headphones on, you know. And um, so I loved all the, the, you know, it's a brilliant sort of headphone album. But yeah, those three tracks, and I think we've discussed all all three of them in terms of how much I like them and, and why I like them. But yeah, just, to, you know, like I say, one of the sound things that I like about the production things that I like about this album is that the separation of instruments is fantastic. And so I find that if I'm sort of laying on my bed with my headphones on, if I just want to listen to John Deacon's bass, I can. If I, it's like you can mix it in your head. If I just want to listen to the lead guitars going on, I can, and and I love that sort of aspect of it as well. And it, it really that this was the album that made me think, geez, John Deacon's really good. He's just really quiet. He doesn't shout about it. And I think apart from that Biggles soundtrack that he did, he's never done a solo. Why has he never done a solo album other than we know the answer to that? He he's not interested. He doesn't particularly like being famous, um, and he doesn't like people particularly talking to him or anything i'm sure he's a nice guy but he really just he's one of the worst people ever to be a rock star because he, he hated everything about being i've known other musicians like that as well where they're really famous and they just they really rather they weren't but there's it's not a great deal they can do you know but uh, yeah john deacon shines on on this album i think but those are my three basically if you can't beat them let me entertain you fat bottle girls yeah and john deacon has you know you end up talking about him with the oddest people. I was interviewing Eric Singer for an Aerosmith book, and we ended mm -hmm. up talking. He was telling me, the drummer in Kiss, telling me mm -hmm. about John Deacon and the Deaky Amp and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that side of Queen and his, his importance. So that's the great thing about it. All right, my three picks. Jealousy. I love it. Um, the guitar work, the sounds, uh, all of that we've already covered. Don't stop me now. Quintessential Queen. It's a bit of a cop-out. It's too easy to pick that one, but I have to because it really is that good. And then my third one, Mark, try not to throw P words at me. Let me entertain you. I love it. Big <sighs> and brash. Uh, fantastic song. Again, great guitar work. And I, I don't really mind. I, I'm not bothered that Mark doesn't like it. I think the vocals are great. I think the power and the character of it are fantastic. But it was also very difficult because I could also have very easily had gone with the last song on the album, more of that jazz, Roger Taylor. 
if they hadn't added in all those little snippets from the other songs on the album, which completely trash what is otherwise a fantastic, tense, dynamic song. So let's get into least favorites, David. Uh, <clears throat> yes, fun it, absolutely. Fun it. I just, I'm just not into it. I mean, it's a shame because Roger Taylor, uh, you know, two, another two of my favorite so, you know, songs of Roger Taylor. In, I'm in love with my car. It's fantastic. I love it. And uh, Sheer Heart Attack, like I said before. But this just sounds like a demo or a jam. Like it's kind of like a, it's just like a couple of ideas in there and just keep looping them, getting a funky thing going. Um, so I'm just not, I'm just not into that one. And more of that jazz. I'm, I'm kind of with you again. It just sort of, um, the weird thing about that, listen to the intro, right? And then think Oasis. It's such a Noel Gallagher, or rather Noel Gallagher has kind of nicked that sort of thing for, you know, what slide away or something like that. It sounds very Oasis to me, but it, it never seems to sort of deliver like you think it's going to. I always think it's going to sort of, you know, crack out into something, um, but it, it, it kind of doesn't. So I guess those two, um, but it's difficult because at the end of the day, I kind of like, I like everything really. I think I like it all. But yeah, if, if we have to have a bottom of the pile, it's those two. Yeah, and I don't do Oasis, but I guess if you made a career no, off I, the I Beatles, I'm just making uh, a comparison. I'm just making. I, I, a comparison. I wish I, I wish I could get the comparison because I just don't yeah. know. I can't think of a single Oasis song and have it pop into my head on melody or anything. Uh, yeah. I managed to blank all that out since leaving Britain. So twenty two yeah, yeah. years gets you through that. Mark, least favorites. Yeah, let's well, take a wild um, wild swing for a guess here. Actually, you might be surprised because um, my least favorites from this number one is not a surprise. Mustafa can't stand it. On the record, I've already said this twice. Don't like it. You know, I know, I know. You know, to me, I kind of understand it a bit because being that he is of Persian background, I can understand maybe those kind of things are something that maybe he can reflect back to his childhood, maybe or something that he heard in his youth or something. Like that. Maybe there's something in there that we don't know from his past that has that connection to it, right? Who knows? But I still don't like it. And the other one is not the one that you think it is. I actually hate a song much worse than that, and it's the one that David picked, and that is Fun It. I yeah. can't stand that song, okay? It is, to me, it just sounds like lazy writing. It literally does. It just sounds like, like David said, That's a shame. He was agreeing with me. <laughs> Terrible. I, I I don't like that song. I mean, in the, in the drum production, I can tell it almost like when they did that song, like Deacon was in the back going, I got an idea with that kind of drum production. You know, another one by Sadat kind of came out of the woodwork from that, I think. I think that was kind of the thing that, you know, because the sound is very similar, you know, oh, yeah. in, in that sense, right? It's got that but, snare, you know, the snare that sounds like a Tupperware box with a load of nails <laughs> in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those are my two that I dislike. Brutal. Brutal, brutal. Ken. Well, I'm in total agreement with David here. Um, I agree. Fun It. Um, Fun It should have been saved for the game because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a track that came off mm -hmm. of the game. Or a Roger Taylor solo album. 
Oh, exactly. Right. Right. And, you know, I love Roger. His vocals are fantastic. Yeah. He's a great vocalist. I yeah. always love his vocals. Um, and then the other one, like David said, uh, more of that jazz. I just never really, never really got that one. Um, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, so, yeah, those are the two. I, I totally agree with David on that. Yeah, so I, I guess I don't get to pick, you know, bicycle race and that because they are quintessential queen hits. Um, but there's a part of this album, and I disagree with Fun It completely, but that's again because I'm getting references of where it may have inspired other musicians. Go and listen to Gene Simmons' demo of Feel Like Heaven. And mm -hmm. very similar in terms of kind of structure. I actually like it. I think it's really fun, but. Um, it's out of place. It does clash again. But two songs. In only seven days, a ballad. It's just utter syrupy tripe. I like that one. Great. And then it's followed by Dreamer's Ball. Pretentious. Completely pretentious. The acoustic demo on the bonus track, on the bonus CD, is way, way better than the album version of Dreamer's Ball. Um, but, you know, th those, I think, are the two that stand out. Dreamer's, Dreamer's Ball is not pretentious. It's it's no different than what he, what they did on A Night at the Opera. Yeah, it's like back with a, with, a, with a 30s style uh, ballad or song. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just typical for. For Queen to pull off something like that, I I I like it. Sure, it's not it's not a '70s rocker or whatever. It's a '30s rocker or whatever you want, whatever the style was at the time. It is so. a it's a it's a throwback to Seaside Rendezvous off, um, exactly. you know, and yeah. or, or lazing on a Sunday afternoon or something, you know. But uh, but like, I agree with Julian that in only seven days, Deacon dropped the ball. Yeah, <sighs> I'm just looking at my notes to fun it. And I, my, my notes are just love it. Disco and hooks. It's fun. I mean, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm like the sticky wicket here today. I'm like completely on the, some other page or in some other book. None of us have really talked much uh, about leaving home ain't easy. What are your thoughts on that? I just find it a very McCartney-esque kind of storyteller ballad, uh, which I quite like. Anyone have any thoughts on it? I think it's okay. I, I mean, there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's just... You know, it's one of those songs where I can't say I dislike it, but it's definitely not memorable like a lot of the other songs on here. I'm not keen, but I, I mean, it, it sounds like a Brian May solo track, which I guess it kind of is, if you think about it, in terms of the amount. I mean, there's not a lot of Freddie on there, for sure. But uh, I just, I found it a bit creepy. The, because the, they, they vary, well, no, the creepy bit is like when they vary, you know, when they vary speed, the vocals. Like, clearly, they slowed the, slowed the tape down. Brian May sung that middle eight section, and then they sped the tape back up, so he sounds like a woman. So he sounds like a female vocalist. Mm -hmm. But that that is Brian May singing at very speed. Yeah. And it just, there's something just weird about the sound of him sounding like a, like, it, you know, it's just an odd, it's an odd production technique. That's, that's, that's funny you say that uh, about the speed up, but, and, and then Julian's reference to Paul McCartney. And when you think back of uh, Paul McCartney doing Girlfriend, mm. um, and he does a real high voice, it sounds like it's a female voice. But I, I don't think they did any speed, you know, speeding up. Paul was able to, you know, get up to that register and do it. 
Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Interesting. Well, that's what I thought. I was thinking, God, it's, it's not like there aren't at least two members of Queen that can sort of shatter well, glass. Yeah, Roger voice. Taylor. That would be perfect yeah. for Roger Taylor. Exactly. Oh, yes. Exactly. But yeah, to, to sort of vary speed Brian's voice up so he sounds like a sort of female backing vocalist is, 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 is <laughs> I don't know, it's just a bit weird. <laughs> maybe, he's, maybe he's having a half and saying, no, Roger, you're not bloody well singing this one as well. You, you've yeah, sung yeah, enough yeah. on this album. Just shut up now and play drums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Dead on time. We haven't said much about that one, I don't think. Uh, guitars and speed. That's the queen I prefer. It's kind of high octane. Again, fantastic guitar work. Um, but I, I think I mentioned earlier that I thought it was let down by an inappropriate placement of harmonies. Um, but I do love Freddie's key of vocal and the drums. This is the one that I, I write down drums specifically. Mm-hmm. So and then the solo. Yeah, motors. Yeah. I've, I've got I've got motors along written down for mine. It's quite a chunky sort of almost Jimmy Page-ish riff that it's got going on in that. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I like yeah, it. A, yeah. I love it. A, I love that song. I think it's a great song. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there's anything wrong with that song. Again, I mean, like I said, I think there's too many songs on this record for my liking, but it, it's not a bad song. Like, a lot of, like, look, even a bad Queen song, I think, is still good compared to other songs, yeah. right? So, but, I mean, this is one of those things that I think that could have been, like, a B-side or, you know, left off the record. But it, it's good. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. I just think they have stronger material. This yeah, is, this good, is coming, good point about B-sides. Coming, yeah, this is yeah. This is coming from Mark, who who really only likes six songs on an album normally. <laughs> well, I think this could have done with maybe six aside and left off more of that jazz or something, or fun it, you know, take yeah, fun it off it, or whatever. But then again, I mean, you know, we talked about the singles earlier on and stuff, and don't stop me now. It's is is I love it, but I've heard it too much, and it's been used in every. You know, Put it advert. in commercials now advert and holiday program anything to do with anyone having a reasonably decent time what should we use for the background music oh how about queen stop me or don't stop me now you know yeah that's what happens every sporting program everything well yeah come on but that just sort of happens one thing i do like is the bonus cd that came with the 2011 uh, edition of the album that included the long lost guitars version of don't stop me now which is really nice. I do like listening to the instrumental version of Bicycle Race because then you get to hear all the textures and all the sounds yeah. and it does have that bohemian rhapsody-like creativity underflowing um, inane lyrics. Um, and I've already said that I like the acoustic version of Dreamer's Ball. Let's start wrapping up this exploration with some overall opinions of the album this album was contemporaneously panned in rolling stone shock horror cream mm. village voice uh, i think invariably they called it dull elitist posturing what's your thoughts on you know giving it an overall review these days david well that description that you just said <laughs> Dull, elitist posturing. That pretty much describes Rolling Stone and Cream. And uh, uh, so I, I, I don't, you know, pot calling the kettle black there. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think Mark nailed it towards the beginning of the show, actually, is that it's kind of maybe punk and new wave got in the way. And so the, the writers of those things where they were chasing after, um, you know, the, the, the bands that were coming through and Queen were unfortunately lumped in the into the old hat brigade and what have you until time had passed enough for people to go eh, it's actually quite good you know so uh but um yeah 
that's that's what I. I mean, it's as simple as that. I, I think that those magazines were probably just looking in the, in the in another direction at the time. Mark. Well, I I don't think it's dull by any stretch of the imagination, but I think Queen has always had an element of like this elitism and this kind of pot. I mean, Freddie Mercury. I mean. Talk about posturing. He does it a lot. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like all the time. But that's Queen. Yeah. If, if you love Queen, then you'd love that and that doesn't bother you. And it doesn't bother me in the slightest. I mean, there was a great Queen documentary that I have where, you know, people were saying, you oh, know, Freddie Mercury was going on stage and doing ballet to music. I mean, how pretentious is that? You know, like, yeah. but I mean, if, but if you love the music and you love them as musicians, then you overlook that, and you just, that's the thing I hate about Rolling Stone. These magazines—they—they're not listening to the music. They—they find other things and attach it to it, and then find a reason to hate it. And mm. I just really hate that. Bingo. If you would just listen to it to the music, and judge it on that basis, then I think it would be a different story. Now, a lot of their criticisms are kind of bonuses. You know, they're not bad things at all. It's like you know, are, are they overblown? You know, it's like. You know, a kiss a bit, or oh, kiss are a bit over the top. Yeah, they are. Yeah, Van Morrison is a bit grumpy. Yeah, that's what they do. You know, that's that's what, what that's what these people are. You know, it's kind of that's you know they they do bring a certain different thing, a uniqueness. Um, and Queen are definitely one of those bands. No one's guitar sounds like that because he built no. it himself, and it, it's it's like an absolutely unique sound. And there's something about Roger Taylor the way that every time he hits a snare drum, he opens his hi hat slightly. And I've never seen anyone else do that. So you've got that sort of rolling rhythm all the time on things because of just the way he's he starting. It must be a thing for him where every time he hits his snare, for some reason, he takes his hand off the hi-hat. But it's, it's a such habit. a brilliant, it's an amazing sort of uh, amazing sort of thing. Yeah, posturing. I mean, Freddie was a peacock. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. part of what is to love about him, his character, his style, his panache. Mm. Uh, I'd love a big box set of this, though. I really would love a big box set. I got the News of the World one, and it's magnificent. And if they could do a yeah. jack one, it'd be fantastic. You know, it'd be awesome. And with all the artwork, and I don't know whether we're going to discuss the artwork, uh, but uh, you know, the the artwork is is it'd be really nice to have lots of trinkets in there and stuff, and a book. And yeah, we'll wrap up with the show and tell David. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so as far as the the reviews back then, and um, it's kind of a you can't you can't take these critics seriously. I mean, a lot of them you couldn't anyway in those magazines. Um, and I think they just wrote bad reviews just to uh, you know kind of get a reaction. Um, uh, if they wrote every every band was a, a great review, it'd be you know pretty boring, I guess. Um, uh, but you know, like I said earlier too in the show, um, we will rock you. We are the champions. It's maybe some of those crazy were expecting another kind of. You know something like that to happen again and like i said queen's not going to do that again they they're going to always going to switch it up and do something unexpected which they seem to do and they do it with the album following jazz and and so on and unfortunately on hot space they really you know yeah. <laughs> screwed yeah. that one up yeah. but uh yeah they're always trying for something new and different um so you know i i never i've seen a lot of critics that just they're just trying to get a rise. Yeah, and I think that David's point is very true, that dull elitist and posturing describes Rolling Stone to a T. Because <laughs> I, I think exactly. my my kind of review of it would be that it's a mishmash. 
but there are some outstanding songs and excellent performances within it. Uh, I think in hindsight, it's easy to look back at jazz and say, it's a tough album to be sandwiched between news of the world and the game. I mean, that's a tough act to follow and a following act that's even tougher. So when you when you have a mishmash like that, you really have to focus on the creativity and the outstanding tracks and just realize that on any album, you're going to have maybe high highs and some lows on occasion, even with a great band like Queen. Where do you rank this overall within the the Queen studio catalog? Mark, I'll start with you on that one. Well, they have 15 studio albums, apparently. And out of that, I firmly put jazz in the middle, eight, eighth place, I put it. I mean, my first is going to be Night at the Opera and then Sure Heart Attack, News of the World, Queen 2, Queen, Innuendo 6, The Game 7th, and then Jazz. And right after is The Works and Day at the Races. So, middling. Yeah, in the middle. Yeah. David. It's right near the top for me, but whether that's an emotional vote or not, I don't know. But uh, it's for me, it is, it's jazz, live killers and news of the world uh, as a three. That, but, you know, like I say, every time we mention something, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, sort of hammer to fall on, on um, the works, you know, and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. It's uh, And then you pick Queen 1 and 2, hello. You know, it's, uh, it's really difficult. But, yeah, jazz and news of the world, because that's when I kind of, jumped into it and then obviously live killers has got live stuff from jazz on it and all that sort of stuff so those are my top three but jazz is somewhere in that top three i can't it rotates it rotates it really does i can't be any more pinpoint than that i'm afraid i can't think of a better way to categorize an album uh, or any music than on an emotional level mm, because mm. you don't get an abacus out and analyze it you don't break it down to its dna it's an emotion mm. it's an unquantifiable you love it because it means something to you and what could be better for anything in life than yeah that ken yeah i was gonna pretty much say that it's it's, ha it's pretty much the order as i you know bought them or purchased them uh, um where you know night the opera would be number one for me and jazz is number two for me and uh, News of the World was number three for me. And then, I don't know, after that, it's like, eh, maybe maybe the game, I don't know, or something else, but definitely not Hot Space. So, you know, jazz is high. It's, 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 number, it's a number two for me, and I, I don't skip it. I, I'll listen to it all through. I, I, I won't say any songs, you know, stinks, but yeah, there's a couple of low points on it, but I, I love the whole album. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know, I can't really think of my queen ranking. That would have to be an episode in itself. It's probably bottom third for me. There's just too many other albums that I like pound for pound from the catalog. And David, thank you for mentioning repeatedly today Live Killers, because that was the live album that followed this release. And that was one of the early albums that I bought. You know, I had greatest hits. I got Live Killers. I remember getting that at, in like 1987 in Singapore because I remember the cassette show was weird. Um, absolutely fantastic live album. And I need to get a copy of that again because I haven't listened to that in probably 30 years. So mm. I, I do need to go and get it. Let's see some of the stuff that you guys have as collectibles uh, from this album. Uh, David, let's start with you and some of what you have and what you like okay. collecting from the album. Okie dokie. Well, um, we all know what the sleeve looks like. 
And uh, but this one is the American edition, which didn't come with the poster of the girls at the bicycle race, but it did come with that, which I believe, if I've got the camera right, uh, is is a little form that you could send off to get your poster. Um, there's nothing particularly different more more than that. Um, but my favourite edition is the uh, the the remaster, um, same as you'd expect, all around. However, this one is. A lovely pink. That's lovely. Mm. It's a it's a real cracker, and uh, uh, so that's a bit of a peach. But I do have, in terms of any sort of ephemera, the only thing I can sort of offer you is there's a uh, European Tour backstage pass with the uh, lady from the Bicycle Race single, or was it Fat Bottom Girl single? I can't remember. Oh, they're but the same, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, um, so that's <laughs> so that's a backstage pass. That's a there's a Japanese ticket from the tour. With the girls mm -hmm. on on the bike, um, and uh, the other one I've got of this is the Japanese um, sort of mini mini thing with the you get a you get a minister, miniature poster of the uh, ladies in question. Sorry, YouTube, and the uh, hysterical, obviously the usual hysterical Japanese interpretation oh. of the lyrics, oh, yeah. which is always a good read. And uh, and a little mini inner sleeve on here with a, a the original label as the CD artwork. So uh, that's I think that's about my my chunk of things. Although, like I say, I do have I do have the Japanese Live Killers, which has a lot of jazz stuff on it. And this is the red vinyl one rat album and green vinyl second album. So there you go. Christmassy. <laughs> I'm on mute. I was going to ask you what what do you know about the artwork, because uh, don't you have some little gems that you can share with us? About I do, photo I do, I, I do, and I will try and keep it brief because I know we've got to sort of uh, rush on. But um, it's just when when I was when you asked me if I would sort of be up for doing this panel, and I said yeah, and then it was it was a little bit after that that I thought to myself, I'm sure my friend Chris did the artwork for the jazz album. And uh, so I sent him a text message and he said, yeah, yeah, I designed it. And so I said, can I give you a call on behalf of uh, Look It's Rock and Roll podcast? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, actually, I'm sure if I'd have said, do you want to come on? He'd have done that as well. But basically, I, I first met Chris Musto is his name. Chris Musto, we met at a rehearsal because he was drumming for Glenn Matlock, uh, as we know, as you know, from the Pistols, the, the Rich Kids, the Faces and what have you. And I was playing guitar. Glenn was on bass and singing, and Chris was on drums. So that was December 2003. He's um, he's a brilliant drummer with a, with some fantastic bands, including obviously Glenn Matlock. He was the first drummer with the Philistines. I was the last drummer with the Philistines, so we got that nice connection as well. And um, he's the designer for the Fuji Rock Festival and uh, drum played drums for Johnny Thunders. He did all the artwork for the Clash reissues ever since sort of 2012. Anything with the Clash on has been Chris's stuff box sets and what have you but he was at this time he was junior art director with a, a company called cream spelt like cream as in milk cream rather than the magazine cream but uh, and he did the news of the world and jazz and uh, so I had a little chat with him the other day and I asked you guys if you'd got questions that you wanted answered and uh, I shall go through your questions now so basically I'll go for the first one the um, the front cover what is it supposed to represent? Um, I think that's what uh, 
that's what you asked, wasn't there? So I can't remember who asked that, but what did it? I think it was Mark. And basically, he said, "Yeah, you, Mark, you actually guessed it completely correct. It is a sonic wave outside, and it is a sort of hypnotic in the inside." And it was Freddie's idea. Freddie wanted to have this uh, thing, rather like what's behind Julian's head, um, and uh, or like. <laughs> Um, and this is, gives you a clue about something else as well, like the kinetics that they used to have on like early jazz records. Um, they used to have a lot of those sort of, you know, it was a very jazz sort of thing, you know. And uh, but it was a, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of the sonic wave outside hypnotizing the audience, as it were. But what he did, I couldn't believe this. He did it six times over two days because he did it by hand with a with a compass, like literally. And he said, you know, like, every now and again, a blob of ink would just run down the pen. And he'd have to start all over again. He did it six oh. times, and it, he spent two oh. days drawing circles. And uh, the back cover is actually the original thing, and so they negated it and turned it into black, mm-hmm. uh, white on black for the front cover. So it's, yeah, so that's the original, obviously without the jazz word and what have you. But um, that's the original, and it was phot- photographed. I love this little detail. It's so British, Julian. You'll love this. If they photographed it using a rostrum camera, but they couldn't get they couldn't something about using the rostrum camera on its own wouldn't work. So basically, Chris had a cup of tea, and so he put the cup of tea on the rostrum camera and leaned the the artwork against it. <laughs> so so it was so it was at a certain angle. So it was it was it was photographed at an angle. Um, after that, so uh, now Mark also asked if there was alternative shots of the recording studio. There's good and bad news on that, Mark. Yes, there were. No, he doesn't know where they are. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was going to have a look and see if he got any contact sheets and stuff, and 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 uh, but there there weren't. He couldn't see anything. Um, but they were done specially for the album. It was it wasn't just a uh, a library shot. Love um, that yeah. shot. Yeah, the inner she- the inner sleeve shot. Chris didn't know. I mean, he was just a, a he was the art you know he was a junior art director, so um, he didn't know everything. But he uh, he said it's probably just off a contact sheet from a separate shot. Shot. Um, somebody asked about the Wimbledon shoot, of course, with all the ladies. Um, he didn't photograph it, but he was there, and he said, you know, for a young man at that time to have thirty. 40 odd you know of the the great the, the really top models in britain and it wasn't just like it wasn't just you know yeah it wasn't just good looking girls these were uh, julian does this translate if i say these were page three models well it does for me but uh you know i know what page three is yeah yeah, yeah. it's just like a newspaper that had nude girl and the page three models were like the superstars of of, of samantha fox was a page three girl. yeah yeah there yeah. there you go yeah, no, nothing like, nothing hardcore I imagine it was pretty pricey, but what I absolutely loved is the uh, that he said they hired all the bikes off Halfords, right? But it was on the it was on the proviso that they buy forty brand new seats when they return. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's that too funny. That's too and funny. I asked him because one of you guys did. How did you feel about the poster being banned in the US? And he said it didn't surprise me at all. You know, it didn't surprise me at all. He said it's it's funny how British people have got a sort of reputation of being oh no sex we're British, but you know the Americans. Much as I love Americans, as you know, I've toured there a lot of times, and 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 uh, I love I love the US. But my goodness, it's sort of they do pretend to be quite prudish, and yet you know we all have boobs. Um, but uh, there's, they do there's, seem there's to a little bit pretend. of a puritanical streak, but there you go. Yeah, exactly. Now the the title jazz. Why did why jazz? Mm. And he said, 
his honest answer is he doesn't know. But we had a little chatter about chat about it, and it's you know there's a track called "More of That Jazz," and there's a phrase "All That Jazz," and it doesn't necessarily mean jazz the music. It just means you know ah, everything. It means everything like a mishmash. Like, yeah, I think, something like all color, that jazz, all that stuff. Yeah, color and change. Mix, yeah. You know, a lot of changes, a lot of a lot of brightness and what have you. And it's the same. He didn't really know why the bike theme, other than. I mean, I'd read something, I'm sure, that Freddie, when they were recording in Nice, he, he actually was, he watched the Tour de France live, as in, you know, on the, on yeah. the street. And so, so he wrote the first song and then Brian responded and thought it'd be quite fun to do an answer, <laughs> to, a, an answer to Freddie's thing. But it was from him watching the Tour de France and thinking mm-hmm. this would be good. And the same with the poster is like, Chris just says he just remembers Freddie saying, wouldn't it be fun if we had just had... A load of nude girls on her. Sort of, it was just because he was a gay man. He sort of didn't see it in any way, sort of sexist. It was kind of just, yeah. you know, wouldn't it be fun? And uh, so there's there is a kind of sort of weird innocence about it. I think you know mm-hmm. that he, uh, he he wasn't thinking the way we would think. Yeah. Uh, he was. I mean, I know he he hit it well, um, but uh, no, he 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 was not. <laughs> he, he was not in the market for those ladies. Um, but uh, yeah, brilliant idea. But that was just his idea idea of fun, really. And so the whole with the bicycle race, fat bottom girls, um, the the poster. They had a meeting with Freddie and Brian at uh, somewhere near Queensway Tube Station in London, and um, and yeah, it was just this sort of thing. Like, what what can we do? What can we do? Um, the reason that the seven inch got banned was because it was a bare bottom on the sleeve when it first went out like this um, mm-hmm. so that that's what it looked like at first on the on the thing but then uh, most people know that if you go on discogs and have a look at the bicycle race sleeve she's actually got a pair of little pink pants on they were done with yeah. they were done with a pen you know they're like quite badly no there was no photoshop someone had to just put some some pink <laughs> pants on it and uh, but they the reason they had to do that which is because back in the day i don't know about america and canada but um yeah, it, the, the seven inches were displayed <coughs> behind the counter at places like Woolworths and W. H. Smiths, and you just get, you know, for some reason, a bare ass was really offensive back then, which is weird when you think about it now. But uh, but there you go. And I, I would, um, if he sees this, which I'm sure he will, I just got like to say thank you to Chris Musto for um, he's the current drummer in Glenn Matlock's band, uh, the Glenn Matlock band, um, with Jim Lowe and uh, Neil X from Zig Zig Sputnik and Mark Armand's band. And um, yeah, I, I'm really grateful for it because he, he did some. He's done some amazing sleeves. He did um, Rolling Stones, Some Girls sleeve, and the Miss You 12 inch. Mm. Um, so uh, you know, but I'm I'm really pleased that he took my call, and we had a really nice. It was nice to catch up with him as well, because like I say, we are friends, but I hadn't seen him for a while because of this blooming thing that we're all going through. So well, that's brilliant. Uh, I mean, you know, and and thank you for reaching out to him, and Chris, thank you for taking the time to answer some of our kind of trivial questions about this era. And that's a really fun thing to remember, that everything was hand-drawn back then. I've got oh, the, I've got, I've, you know, I've got the original Def Leppard 1980 art, and you can actually yeah. see, you know, there's pencil lines where they have the protractors and very fine lines to make sure it's colored in properly. And that must have been a nightmare design-wise to do. With a compass. With yeah. a compass that was done. And yeah, you, you can just imagine the the ink blot buggering it up, you know. Oh, oh. yeah. So th- I mean, that, what a fantastic story, Ken! You've got some collectibles as well, don't you? That 
Well, or, or did you flash not so, them already? Not so collectible. I mean, you know, David had the uh, the album. Uh, you know, the U.S. release, the first edition. I did have the. You know, this is I showed it a little bit earlier, but the poster that came with it. Uh, came in the before they got banned you know in the first pressing in the united states it you got this but then david's has a uh must be like a second pressing um yeah. where yeah. they inserted the card so you can get this i don't know if they were charging you or if you just did they do it for free or did they yeah, it's, it's just a free thing it just says it does say um it says to obtain a free copy of special poster of the start of the new bicycle race which obviously was that was what they used in the video for uh, obviously with lots of effects all over it send this coupon and stamped address 12 by 12 envelope to and then it's queen poster um los angeles california blah 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 so, uh, so yeah 12 by 12 so this yeah this just barely fits in the uh in the in the vinyl album uh, and in the reason you know the pink you know the pink vinyl one i showed you yes the the poster of that on the back in white letter in white lettering is all the lyrics which is quite nice because i think that's right the, it never had a lyric sheet I don't yeah know. i do have this one i do have that poster too the yeah. reprinted poster and it has the lyrics on it yeah but this good. this is not pink vinyl this is uh your, your standard 180 black vinyl so there we go and that's it i I have a, the CD somewhere too, the re-edition, but uh, I'd like to get the box like you were talking about. Oh, it'd be lovely, yeah, it'd be phenomenal, because like I say, I've got the News of the World one sitting to my left, and it's just amazing, big book and a poster and all sorts of stuff, and, and obviously like three CDs and a, is it two, oh, I can't remember now, is it three CDs and a DVD or two CDs and a DVD, but it's just, it's fantastic set, and I just thought a jazz one of those would be great, and I did ask Chris, um, I said to Chris, you know, have you ever been sort of approached for that? And he said, well, no, I, he said he hadn't actually seen the box set of news of the world. So they're, they're using his artwork on that. And, uh, and he wasn't aware, um, that it, it, it was out, but he's done so much. His, his, his CV is pretty huge. So, uh, brilliant. You know. Well, th thanks again for doing that. Mark, I'm going to let you lead us out of the show with, uh, final thoughts. Yeah. Do you, what do you listen to it on? Do you have any special vinyl or you like me just have a digital version? Um, I have a Canadian pressing of it. Nothing special, just one of the, uh, I guess, maybe like a first reissue or something like that. It is kind of old and, you know, it's, it, it sounds great, but it's not a not a first press. But um, I believe I have a CD of it somewhere in my collection as well here. But I, if I listen to it, I mainly listen to it on vinyl, and I just listen to that pressing. It, it sounds good, and uh, vinyl is the way to listen to it. I, I definitely agree. Yeah, and headphones so you get all the yep. nuances that you often mm -hmm. miss. Um, okay, well, that's it. That's our deep dive or our discussion into Queen's Jazz. Jason, thank you for the suggestion. And uh, we'll put out a, another call for additional ones in the future. But I think we're going to restart our, our round table and we'll give one of the guys a pick for the next album and see what people come up with as a suggestion. All right, let's leave it there. So for now, from David, from Mark. Ken and myself, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. Bye now. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. Facebook.